Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Pop and Schlock podcast. I am Jacob King, and this week we are going to be taking a look at the special extended edition of Jurassic World Dominion, now streaming on Peacock. We would like to thank everybody who has been supporting the show, and we would like to remind people that you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at PopSchlockPod, and you can also check out our new Patreon page, which can be found at patreon.com slash popandschlock. Be sure to check out all the different subscriber tiers and see how you can help support this show so that we can continue cranking out quality entertainment just like this episode. Anyway, without further ado, here is Jurassic World Dominion, the extended cut. One, two, three, and we're back. Hi, that's testing. Hi, Hi. testing. Hello. We're here. Hi. Two weeks in a row. New record. <laughs> Look at us. Look at us. How impressive. I know. We really are. We really are the best of the best. So, sorry. Um, I'm going to go ahead and let you do the intro for the episode because I know that you probably wanted to take the lead on this one. Yeah. Um, so, we wanted to acknowledge the passing of our friend Vincent Kukua, who you may have heard on the 20, uh, the 2018 episode that we did on Halloween. Um, he was, he was a wonderful friend to us both as well as the show. Um, we are not going to be dedicating this episode to him though, because next week we're going to be doing the new Hellraiser movie. And I think it's a lot more appropriate that we, uh, memorialize him in a, in his preferred genre, which this Jurassic World Dominion it's not. Um, but I would also like to mention, for those of you who are wondering as well, we have had other guests pass before. Um, if you don't see us acknowledging them, it has nothing to do with disrespect. A lot of it has to do with sometimes they were they and their families request privacy at the time, and we want to honor that. So, um, uh, however, Vincent's passing was um, publicly discussed, so we felt... Um, comfortable and safe in offering up our condolences on this podcast. So, um, you know, we love you, Vince. Um, yeah. We miss you. We yeah, weren't really we, hoping to have you back on the show someday. Um, I know. I was, I was really hoping that uh, he could possibly come around for whenever we take a look at Halloween kills. I thought that would have been appropriate. Um, Vincent oh. was one of the few people who I, greatly trusted when it came to matters of horror films because it's such mm-hmm. a subjective genre but he and i were really on the same wavelength a lot of the time and uh yeah it's very very sad um to lose anyone but to lose such a uh, a bright creative influence at such a young age it really is uh it's it's quite sad and we do want to uh memorialize him in the way that we think best appropriate. And so next week we will be looking at the new Hellraiser, which uh, I think is an appropriate avenue for yeah, that. I, I think it's most appropriate that we memorialize him via horror. He he had wonderful taste. Yes, he really Just did. A sweet, sweet, sweet guy. Yeah, an, an amazing human being, an amazing artist, and uh, he will be sorely missed. Uh, so, uh, Vincent, we hope that uh, wherever you are, you're listening next week, and uh, hopefully you agree with us, because uh, yeah. I, I, I I like to think that we're pretty much on the same wa- same wavelength about a lot of things, and uh, I've, I'm really looking forward to uh, next week's episode. But uh, 
we'll we'll transition. Know that we love you. Yeah, we 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 will miss you, Vincent. Um, and we're gonna transition into this week's episode, which will be interesting to say the least, because in in my opinion, Jurassic World Dominion was quite possibly one of the most ill-conceived films of this year. And upon first watch, I leveled it with something on the uh, something on the same level as a Rise of Skywalker. And for those of you who know my feelings on that film, you understand exactly how dire that puts it as far as a company of other films. But uh, upon rewatch today, uh, I feel like I may have been a little uh, aggressive in how poorly I favored this film because compared to Rise of Skywalker, this film is an absolute masterpiece. That's not to say that this movie is great. In fact, it is what I would like to call the very definition of middling is what this film is in a lot of ways. And I have a lot to say about it. Um, but to to start things off, to kind of understand where I'm coming from with this, you really have to understand that in my mind, there is no such thing as a perfect movie. Uh, it's just impossible to create something that uh, lives up to the term perfect. But the original Jurassic Park kind of at least touches that line for me. And in terms of important films for me as an individual, I don't think there are that many films out there that reach the heights of what Jurassic Park did for me on a personal level. Uh, the only other film that I can think of off the top of my head that has been as impactful on my life as Jurassic Park is, is oddly enough, a, another Spielberg movie in Jaws. Those two movies have informed and shaped me in ways that I cannot understate. And a lot of that has translated into the way that I look at film in terms of how a film should be how a film should be paced, how a film should be plotted, how a film should be shot. And so when I look at something like Jurassic World Dominion that seems to work counter to everything that I loved about uh, films like Jurassic Park, uh, it just, it hurts just a little bit more. So I will preface this by saying that the version that we're going to get into today is the extended edition, which is available to stream on Peacock if you don't want to go out and spend uh, actual human monies on this film, you can stream it, which I did, um, taking several breaks to uh, pace about the room and ponder several life choices. Um, but yeah, I, I was able to stream this. This is the extended version, and there are some differences that I'm sure I will be able to speak to. Uh, that I know, Meredith, you didn't see the original non-extended version, but I will kind of bring things up as I think it's appropriate. So where would you like to start with this thing? Because I have several notes but they're all jumbled so i'll I'll give you the um, floor insufficient dinosaurs yes okay let's start with that so for those of you who have seen jurassic world and even those of you who have not um the plot is not even dinosaur centric um, the plot is centered around locusts for some reason, uh, because that's really what I want to see in my Jurassic World movie is something that feels like a discarded early draft version of where we were going with Interstellar. It's like, oh, the locusts are killing the crops. Um, and I kind of understand 
where they were coming from in terms of let's try something new, let's try something different. Um, because just the very concept of where we are in the franchise necessitated that they go in a little bit of different different direction. But this was not the direction that I wanted to go to. And Meredith, the fact that you started off by saying this film is dino insufficient, let me point out that the opening of this film in the extended version where we get the admittedly very beautiful, almost documentary-style-esque uh, shot of prehistoric dinosaurs showing them living in their natural environment 65 million years ago was not included in the original release. So in the original release, there were even fewer dinosaurs than you saw in this version. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is a baffling move because... I think that most people that are around our age, uh, my age specifically, who saw the original Jurassic Park when they were very, very young, as I did, um, I, because of that movie, became absolutely enamored with dinosaurs and the concept of paleontology and the science behind dinosaurs. And I would read anything I could get my hands on that had anything to do with dinosaurs. Um, I would just any movie that it was even slightly dinosaur adjacent, I would watch, which led to me seeing some really bad movies in the early nineties. But <laughs> the fact that we've got a Jurassic world movie that seemingly doesn't care all that much about dinosaurs is just a baffling decision. I will say, I will say um, that I did like the animatronics a lot. Yeah. It made all the, it, it, it looked good. Yeah, and I, I 100% agree with you there. So in a movie that is very dino deficient, um, when we got some actual uh, puppeteering and anim animatronic work in this film, it looked absolutely amazing. The uh, like the baby Triceratops in the beginning was absolutely adorable, and you, you forget for a minute that it is a puppet. You just kind of want to take it home. Um, mm -hmm. It's and so cute. It absolutely was, and... There were moments where the CGI for the dinosaurs was very, very good. And then there were moments where you wonder how it was done so much better in 1993. It's just a startling <laughs> contrast. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way that the dinosaurs were used in this film when they were used, as opposed to the way that they were used in the original. Specifically... Are you build on that? Yes, but well, specifically what I'm what I'm referencing is the fact that they've gone full bore action movie with the Jurassic World fans. And I, yeah, and I I think like we talked about this when we were doing um when we were doing Prey, when you take a horror franchise or horror, like sci-fi horror and turn it into an action movie, I think Jurassic Park works best as a sci-fi horror. Yeah, and I feel like it's been on this slope, this trend, since, honestly, Jurassic World or Jurassic Park 3. Um, there was a noticeable tonal shift in the way the dinosaurs were portrayed and the conflict of humans versus those dinosaurs. I feel like there was a very, there, there was very much a, a huge tonal shift with 3, and that carried through Jurassic World and then Fallen Kingdom all the way to Dominion. Um, and if you look back at Jurassic Park and uh, Lost World, the way that they treated the dinosaurs, it was, I mean, and I think this is just the Spielberg influence, um, 
it's much like the shark in Jaws. Less is more. And where I feel like they went in the direction that I don't agree with is, for example, um, um, I guess about an hour into this movie, it just decides to turn into Fast and Furious. There's no other way to describe it. They go to an exotic locale and there's a chase scene. Um, Using the Velociraptors in that way, as opposed to look at the Velociraptors in Jurassic Park, the, uh, the, the famous kitchen scene where they were moving in a way that had you view them as actual animals that were behaving as animals do. I feel like that's the distinction. Um, and part of that breakdown comes from the fact that this new trilogy seems so focused on turning them into monsters and not animals, which, uh, I mean, you had the, the fictional Indominus Rex and then the Indoraptor in uh, Fallen Kingdom. And I feel like turning these things into monsters kind of undercuts what the original message of Jurassic Park was, which is, you know, the monster is capitalism. And I feel like some of that mm-hmm. carried over here, obviously, with uh, the introduction of Bias and then the reintroduction of Lewis Dodgson, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but if you look back at the original Jurassic Park, there were undercurrents in the theme that you can see the Jurassic World franchise follow up on, but not in the way that you would have expected. And it's like uh, one of my favorite parts of the original novel was the idea that was put forth by Engine of, oh, eventually we're going to turn this into a thriving marketplace where we will uh, manipulate the genome to make the animals smaller so we can domesticate them and sell them to the super wealthy. And so the idea of them playing God with the genome and manipulating them to be different, that was always there. But I really don't think they were fully going into the direction that we got with Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and then Dominion, where it's like, okay, they don't even resemble the dinosaurs they were originally supposed to be, if that makes sense. Well, the good news is they finally have feathers. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I did, lo- I did I like love... That. I did love the the opening addition that they added to the extended version where we got to see yeah, I, essentially what was the origin of Rexy. Well, and I was also, I, I you know, I, I told you, I was like, they're ruining a perfectly good movie with humans. <laughs> I would have watched, I would have just watched the entire thing if it was just those really beautiful dinosaur tableaus. I really liked that. Which I feel like I said. I didn't hate this movie. I saw that the critics gave it about a 22% on Rotten Tomatoes. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't really like it because it just, it feels like, like you said, it's too much of an action movie. It doesn't, it's kind of like those kaiju movies that focus more on people rather than the giant monsters with the exception of the original I will say the original Godzilla focusing on people made sense considering the message it was trying to convey. Right. And like if, the, it has, the most... if it has Godzilla versus, if it has Godzilla versus in the title, then it bet, then I better be seeing a kaiju fight the entire time. Right. But and... I will give a pass. I will give a pass to the original Gogeta again, because the original one was not supposed to be about the monster. Right, and they've carried that through in a lot of the different uh, Godzilla entries. Like, if you look at, you know, Godzilla 1984, same basic thing. Uh, Sheen Godzilla um, was about bureaucracy. So, 
you know, there, there's times whenever that's appropriate. I feel like with Jurassic Park, um, if you look at the way that the original film handled dinosaurs, we were there was this sense of like real awe it, with the fact that these dinosaurs have been brought back to life. And I honestly, I think like I feel like that maybe is my biggest contention with the Jurassic World trilogy in that I don't believe for one second that humanity would get bored or in any way not be amazed to see dinosaurs because I, I go to the I go to the zoo every year when it gets cold enough to do so um, because the Houston Zoo is actually a really amazing zoo and uh, I love our zoo. and it's it's a it's a world class zoo it really is um, and the like the recent additions of the uh, like the the Southern Swampland exhibits and then the uh, the gorilla enclosure just it's it's an amazing amazing experience and i've been there multiple times over and over and, over, and i still enjoy it despite the fact that these are animals that are things that i've seen multiple times but it's this but i still am raptured by seeing these things i don't think that i would ever grow bored at the concept of seeing a t-rex you know it, it's oh hard yeah to... i mean i i love like the i i always make a beeline at the Houston Zoo, always make a, a beeline to the sea lions and oh, the red the panda. Lions. Yeah, the sea lions. And I love the well, red panda. Well, like, my my yeah. favorite exhibit at the Houston Zoo, for those of you who are in Houston, and uh, if we have any of the zoological members here, thank you for supporting the show. Um, my favorite exhibit at the Houston Zoo, bar none, is the elephants. I love the elephant exhibit, and that's always my first stop. Um, I can recognize some of the elephants by sight. That's how often I've been there. Um, shout out to Duncan. He's my favorite. Um, He's so, so cute. I, I remember when he was a little baby. So do I. And it's it's been so fun to watch watch Duncan grow up, and I love that enclosure, and it's it's always, like, it doesn't get any less fun every time I go. So if you're trying to tell me that uh, people would be bored by seeing a T-Rex or an apatosaur or whatever, I don't believe that. Um, and so like the whole concept of this new trilogy of like, oh, we've got to go bigger and badder and genetically modify and create these fake monsters because that's what people see. I, I don't – that base assumption on the part of this trilogy is completely flawed. Um, it just didn't – it just didn't – feel like a Jurassic Park movie. No, it really Even though it had all of the hallmarks of it. Also, it was interesting, like, how often they were like, Dr. Alan Grant, Ian Malcolm, yeah. Ellie Stadler, or Dr. Ellie's like, like, always, always, always saying people's full names to full remind names us who titles. they were as if we got, yeah, or, or that's the Jagatatotosaurus it's yeah, the, it's the largest carnivore that ever. Like the number of times they said that to remind us, and I'm there was a lot. I'm of not necessarily exposition. going to blame. Yeah, I'm not going to necessarily blame Colin Trevorrow for that though, because I do know that a lot of producers will go in and start meddling with things because they think audiences are not smart enough. Yeah. To remember, like just just so you don't forget Laura Dern's name, and this is Dr. Ellie Statler. She is a yeah. doctor, and she's Ellie Statler. Like, and, like I and the thing that the reeks thing of executive that, meddling. So, Colin Trevorrow, we know that you're not listening to this, but on the off chance that you are, we're not blaming you for it. And the thing is, I mean, you look at you look at that of the constant need to name drop. 
it's weird because this is a film that seems to coast on a lot of nostalgia. Like, let's let's be very honest and upfront about this. They expect people to care about these characters because of the pre-existing association with the franchise. It's we're happy to see Sam Neill and Laura Dern and uh, Jeff Goldblum all together on screen together again for the first time since uh, 1993. Like that's, that's one of the major selling points. It doesn't happen until about an hour and a half into the nearly three hour long movie. Right. That's another point we'll get to in a minute. So I understand. Uh, You know, I would have, it was such a long movie. I would have really liked it if it was just the original three. Yeah. And not the characters that I don't really care about. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care about Owen and Claire and Maisie. I really don't. I don't I really care don't about either. their story. I feel, I feel like after the, well, obviously not Maisie, but I feel like after the first movie, Claire and Owen's story ended fine. Like, yeah, that was really a good did. enough capper. And, and l- let it me... feels like, like they only, oh, go ahead. Well, let me throw something at you this way. It should have been reversed. Um, Ellie and Alan should have been the A plot and the clone situation should have been the B plot. If you had reversed it, that's fine, but I, I feel like if like we're spending most of our time with Alan and Ian and Ellie as they're trying to unravel this mystery and then they are able to somehow come across Owen and Claire and Maisie towards the end and they finally realize that's the key you could have cut down on a lot of unnecessary screen time and i feel like it would have a lot of unnecessary exposition yeah and i feel like it would have been a more economical movie and i know that we hammer home economy and filmmaking like every time we get on this stupid podcast but bloat kills action movies more than anything and aside from this was near this was near three hours. Yeah. It was uh, like from start to finish, it was two hours and 42 minutes, I believe. And that's just ridiculous. When you realize that the original Jurassic Park was a very, very tight two hours, four minutes. Um, and like I said, I, I don't believe in a perfect movie, but Jurassic Park is very, very close. Um, whereas I, I don't know. Like- I. I don't know how you can't believe in a perfect movie when Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure exists. What's you know what's funny uh, as a weird diversion on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? I feel like part of the reason why I don't view that as a perfect movie is because whenever I first saw it as a child, it very much scared the crap out of me. Ah, uh, well, it's a perfect movie. Just so, so I know. feel like I didn't see it at the right time, which is weird because. Um, if you want to talk about perfect movies, um, and since we're on the subject of like genre films, another film that I would consider perfect in its construction uh, is the original Tremors. You want to talk about an economical yes, very, movie? Yes, very, very good. An economical movie that knows exactly what it needs to do and when, that is a good example. Jurassic World Dominion is probably the worst example of big blood, big budget tentpole movie gone wrong. Um, it seems to want to focus on things that nobody really wants to focus on. Um, because the parts where we get to see 
Ellie and Alan doing their things together and Jeff Goldblum being very Jeff Goldblumy, um, the movie really does work. Like, I don't know if it's just the nostalgia factor, the charisma of those actors or what have you, but those parts really did work. It was the moments with Owen. Look, I Claire, never, ever, ever going to complain about Laura Dern and Sam Neill being cast in anything. Yeah. I never am. I love watching them. They 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 have presence. They are enjoyable. They are fun. Um I I like I said, it's hard to talk about this movie because everyone just wants to shit on it. And I don't think that it necessarily needs to be shit on, but I this isn't one that I'm going to ever revisit unless it's the very first like 10 minutes where it's just dinosaurs being dinosaurs and that's what i feel like that's what's so upsetting to me is because i do have such an affinity for the original jurassic park and even i will oh, say yeah. up, i mean up i through, had a jurassic, up jurassic park world. backpack and jurassic park lunchbox like, yeah, I mean, I up through jurassic world I, I was totally on board like jurassic world has some flaws admittedly but it's still an enjoyable an enjoyable entry and i feel like it was kind of on par with jurassic Probably park 3 sci-fi horror movie like right. what we talked about we're we're yeah but this one but fallen kingdom and dominion are just sort of like they 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 went in a direction that i don't think anybody really wanted them to go in and so like there are some things that i feel you can hand wave away as far as like suspension of disbelief in the original trilogy and it's you're okay with it um However, whenever I watch some of the things that they did, especially with this movie, I'm wondering, no, this is just, it's a bridge too far. Like the, uh, the random, uh, it's like, okay, now what's his name from, uh, fallen kingdom now works for the CIA. Like they just offered him a job and, uh, the Raptor trainer from Jurassic world is now part of French intelligence. It felt, it, it felt very, very fast and furious in that we went from, a movie about people street racers stealing DVD players to, okay, we have to stop nuclear Armageddon and now we're going to space. If you tried to show... I think that's a very good parallel. Yeah. And if you tried that's to a, show... That's a pretty apt parallel. If you tried to show the original Jurassic Park to somebody and then you showed them this this film and you asked them, how do you connect the dots? They would probably be entirely lost. There's no logical way to get from point A to point B between those two films. And I feel like that's my biggest problem with it. Now, the actors in the movie make it enjoyable enough that I can get through it. But it, like I said, it's the very definition of middling. Um, but, I mean, Jeff Goldblum can show up in just about anything and steal the show and make and get you, you know, from a zero star I, film to a two star film. I will be very um I'm going to actually speak counter to you in this. I thought he just kind of showed up as a caricature of himself. Well I kind of think that I, I feel like what we got was I feel like what we got was meme Jeff Goldblum. See, I'm not entirely sure because it feels like a natural extension of that little cameo that we got in Fallen Kingdom where it's just cynical old Ian Malcolm. Like this is this is a Malcolm who's very, very tired of being right all the time. And I felt like that I, came across. I just, he felt too 
I see. No, I just, I just felt like it was meme. Kind of like I, I had this conversation with the guys from the um, Coming of Cage podcast. Mm. That there's like Nicolas Cage, and then there's meme Nicolas Cage, and we don't always know which Nicolas Cage is going to show up. And well, I, I think if we're going to talk about like, meme Jeff Goldblum, we like. I think that that's more apt for his turn in Ragnarok. To be honest, I feel like that was more playing up yep, what people totally, would expect out of yeah, Goldblum. Totally, but also totally worked in that movie because that was an absurdist. Yeah, movie that was and very very. The, it the was only a reason that the no, only reason I, that it worked. I'm okay with memes. Yeah, the only reason that it Go worked ahead. for me here is that it felt like he was the only one who knew what movie he was in and played to that. So, like at the very end, whenever he just incredulously is like, "You, you, you made a, you made a deal with a dinosaur," like, like he understands that everything is ridiculous, and and like towards the end, whenever uh, Doctor Wu is like, "Can I come with you?" and he's like, "No, no, he's evil. Not again. Never. No. Why?" Like he's saying the things that the audience should be saying and probably is saying, and so maybe I just identified with it because. He is matching my cynical energy. Maybe. Also, I think Jawanda Wise was pretty. Uh, I thought that she was great here, despite not given the meatiest role to bite into. Yeah, she, I think she did the best of what she could. I, I loved watching her, and it made me remember that I still need to see um, her show on Netflix. Um, she's got to have it. I still need yeah, to watch I haven't that. watched that either. Um, I'm only really familiar with her from um, which a, a movie we covered um, for this particular podcast. Um, so it, it, I liked her character and I liked uh, the energy that she brought. I was honestly a little surprised that when she showed up, I was expecting her just based off of how stupid the rest of this movie was that she was going to be playing uh, Malcolm's daughter from the Lost World grown up. That was my expectation. And I was legitimately surprised when that didn't turn out to be the case because this movie just traffics so hard in nostalgia and callback that I was legitimately surprised that they didn't go that route. Yeah, but I still liked I still liked her, her presence. And again, another one that felt like she knew what she was. She's like, this movie's ridiculous, but I'm going to have fun with it. Um, yeah. She was clearly enjoying herself. And clearly very exasperated, but great character. I liked Kayla a lot. Yeah, she like she brought an energy to it. Goldblum brought the energy. Even uh, like Laura Dern was doing her damnedest to hold this thing together. Sam Neill, I feel like, was just happy to be back. You know, um, but well, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, he's he's a charismatic actor, and he made it work. But we've got to address the Chris Pratt in the room. Um, this is not what he should be doing with his talents. Whether you want to talk about uh, the controversy surrounding his personal opinions and politics or not, this is not what he is good at. Playing the straight-faced action hero just does not work for Chris Pratt. It really doesn't. And the problem is, the problem is when he tries to. And again, we're not like there is we, we recognize that there's a lot of controversy surrounding him as a person politically. I don't I, I admittedly don't know what is Internet lore and what is real. 
Right. Um, I, I, I will say that like a lot of people, my opinion on him has kind of gone down quite a bit because I absolutely loved him in Parks and Recreation. And yeah. um, even originally as Star-Lord, I thought he was great. But like hearing some of the stories come out about things like him exposing himself to Amy Poehler uh, when they were doing, you know, when they were improvising during Parks and Rec and stuff like um what um I, I think I've kind of soured on him, like knowing about his how much yeah, he kind of I supports mean, his brother. The personal baggage does run, do a like, lot to drive down my it, opinion. It, but I mean personally personally my opinion of him as an actor has diminished not necessarily because of his personal actions, but because of the choice of projects exactly. that he's done. He hasn't brought Well yeah, because every when he tries to do straight faced, he comes off as Burt Macklin FBI. He really, really does. And I don't, and the thing is, I don't like that. I'm not, I don't want to spend this time shitting on somebody because I'm an, you know, I do, I act professionally. I know that this shit's hard. Um, and I also just, feel like some I of it is also the studio expecting him to fill a niche that he's like, okay, I'll do it. But he's just not, he's just not suited for it. It's not something that I want to see. Um, and it's like a good example. Well, like I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say um, a good example of someone knowing their niche and being able to compare Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Hemsworth has also tried to do the straight face leading man thing, and he has recognized, I think, that that is not his bread and butter, and so he will do those projects, but he's not going to try to make that the entirety of his career going forward. Um, Hemsworth is a comedic actor through and through, and I think he knows it. Yeah, I think he understands that his charisma comes from being able to play fast and loose. So you're not going to see him take a lot of roles like um, Black Hat, or, uh, I mean, he seemed to do okay with Extraction, but I don't think that's going to be his main bra uh, bread and butter. Chris Pratt, he seems hell-bent on just... It's like this is my persona now. I am a leading man. I am I am I'm generic and white and handsome. Like that seems to be his like this is what I'm gonna do. And it's just it doesn't work for me. Um we're not even gonna get into the whole voice acting debacle because of the Mario trailer that dropped this week, despite well, the fact and I'll that I'll say that like like oh well obviously voiceover. Oh because that's my that's that's a big area where I do a lot of performing and I get a lot of I do the majority of my performing either uh, in sketch comedy or in voiceover work because because listen to my voice, for God's sakes, I sound like a cartoon character because right. I've been cartoon characters. Um, anyway, um, a lot of it has to do with just, again, being miscast. It's he was fine in Lego movie. Yeah, I don't think he disrespected. I don't think he disrespects the art of voice acting. He was very good in Lego Movie, and he showed up. He understood the assignment. I liked him in it. But he just doesn't work for Mario, even if it sounds like they're doing the Captain Lou Albano accent, especially because well, Mario's voice actor is still alive. Yeah, well, it's like, a, it's like the thing that kind of... Charles Martinet is still alive. Yeah, I mean, it's the thing, the thing that stands out to me is, you know, everyone's like, 
this isn't what I expected them to sound like. And I knew that they weren't going to go with the, the video game stereotype because that would be grating for an hour and a half. But I mean, I grew up on the Super Mario Brothers Super Show and then the Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World cartoons. So I'm used to the Captain Lou Albano. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm used to the Captain Lou Albano moon sound. So I wasn't expecting that. But for it to still sound so Chris Pratty, I, I understand why people are a little miffed. That having been said, I do want to take the opportunity to praise the little voice work we've seen from Jack Black so far. Of course, we're huge Jack Black fans here oh, at this podcast. Well, yeah, um, like we, I, I love Jack Black. Um, we talk about him all the time because we love him. Clearly, we're going to be watching the Mario movie and discussing it because we fucking love him so much and he was so good. Um, that, and I love the idea anyway, of uh, Keegan-Michael Key as Toad is also inspired. Charlie Day as Luigi. Um, and Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach well, is also a, a great pickup. Um, it's just... And I'm going to probably say a lot of things about voiceover work. Well, sure, for that episode, we'll probably bring in some voice actors, too. Oh, yeah, we definitely um, need to. We'll definitely bring in some voice actors for that one. But what I want to say is that, like, there's precedent for bringing in the iconic voices for, like, uh, Colleen O'Shaughnessy bringing her in as Tails for the second Sonic movie. Nobody right. complained about that. Her voice as Tails is iconic. And no one was upset. I don't think anyone would say if they cast Charles Martinet as Mario doing a different sounding Mario voice to counter what we see in the game. Because if you if they if they were, it's going to be a too great. Charles Martinet is a professional voiceover artist who can alter things and has the training and the skill set. For God's sakes, he was just in a a Dragon Ball movie. Yeah. The man, the man can and does do other projects. He just doesn't necessarily need to because he's got, uh, he's got that sweet, sweet Nintendo money. But um. That's the thing. No one would have complained if they said, and Charles Martinet as Mario. No, Because when they said Kathleen, uh, Colleen O'Shaughnessy as Tails, nobody said, but why isn't it Aquafina? You know, something like that. Nobody yeah. said that. If they cast Charles Martinet as Mario for the movie, nobody would have been like, oh, I sure wish it was Chris Pratt. You know, yeah, and, and no I know some people have no made the argument that. that, you know, you want somebody who's a marquee name to do, like, the the television rounds and the marketing for the for the film. But I mean, when, when Sonic came out, uh, you know, Ben Schwartz wasn't exactly an A-lister. It's, he was the right voice for that part. And so... Just the fact that Chris Pratt got this, uh, got this gig, it's just, it falls in line with I mean, I feel like Illumination as a studio just has that that idea of we are going to use marquee names to sell the property, and that's that. It's the you know, um, yeah. I'm, and oh, let me tell you, as a professional voiceover person, <laughs> oh, there's a lot of discussion in the community, and I'm sure we could do an episode on just that. Um, it, it, you're gonna have to rein me in on this subject yeah. uh, because here's the thing. There are actors. There are actors who do view voice acting as a, just a different acting style that is on par with acting. Well, a good, a good is point acting. is, um, did you recognize the voice of the Penguin King in the Mario trailer? 
Uh, actually, no, I didn't. I did not know Michael who that Bourne. Was. Are you serious? Yep. Well, and he, but he's been doing voiceover work. He was exactly. In, um, there are like, there are actors who are very prolific, who are well known for their live action choices, who are extremely extremely talented voice actors. And I mean, uh, look I'll at say, a, and I'll say this: Jack Black is excellent because Jack Black understands that there is that the the skills the skills for voice acting and the skills for stage and film acting are a Venn diagram, but they are not a circle. And there are people that treat it like it is a circle and it does not work. And it's funny. Cause if we're, if we're going to talk about like big names doing uh voiceover work and like specifically with Mario, um, Seth Rogen is playing Donkey Kong and I have, Zero problem with that because whenever I look at Donkey Kong, I can hear Seth Rogen's stupid laugh coming out of him, and it makes sense to me as a stunt casting that works. But again, we're getting and off on one say, of our famous is, tangents. And that we could we could do just an entire episode on just that, and I'm sure I could bring in a panel of voiceover people, <laughs> all of whom will have the exact same opinion voiced in <laughs> several different ways, all of them possibly yelling. Show us on the doll where Madagascar hurt you. Oh, dear God. Um, but yeah, get, getting back to uh, Jurassic World, which, again, I want to I say that the extended version of this film does make the movie better in the same way that the extended version of Batman versus Superman made that film better doesn't make it better in the sense that, oh, this fixes everything, but it does fill in a few gaps. Um, so one of the things that uh, it did get added was there was a scene towards the end where Dodgson is trying to wipe out all the hard drives, and he's having this conversation with Ramsey, um, his underling. And that scene was either completely missing or truncated from the original theatrical release. So whenever Ramsey at the end basically rebukes Dodgson, it it feels like it comes out of nowhere. There's just little moments like that are just taken out. Um, the interaction between uh, Grant and the Gen Z grad students at the dig was also an addition. There are just little things I, that... I actually hated that. Yeah. I hated that scene. I hated it. Nobody signs up to be a paleontologist just to sit there talking about how boring paleontology is. Like, we know about the T-Rex. Oh, my God. Like, Well, part of me wonders if they weren't supposed to be, like, some stupid, like, undergrad thing that was kind of like... It's like whenever I took... uh, I didn't want to take math, so I took German because for some reason that would fill my credit. Yes, that's a thing. Um, like, that's the impression that I got. And I figured it was supposed to be a callback of, to the original Jurassic Park with, like, oh, Grant just doesn't understand kids and can't connect with them. But it was just, a little stereotypical. Also, for one thing, for God's sakes, you you work with Gen Z. How many of them are going to love dinosaurs? I mean, I'm sure most of them. Yeah, like... And again, it goes back to my my feelings that nobody would be bored by dinosaurs in this world. Like, I just can't get on board with that concept. It's like, 
I'm, I'm sorry, but like you, you show me a Triceratops and I'm going to shit my pants and be like, oh my God, a Triceratops. Um, and it, I feel like that's the problem with the movies is they, they, they fundamentally misunderstand their audience and what the audience wants. Um, and they want to try to have it both ways because they want to play. It's like, oh, society is totally over the concept of dinosaurs. It's like they, they were bored by them. So we have to create genetic monsters. And yet there are several times throughout the course of this movie where we see humans utterly in awe of dinosaurs in the wild. The scene where the, uh, the apatosaurs are at the construction site and everyone's just looking at them because they're these magnificent creatures that are just larger than life. And yet we're supposed to think that nobody would pay to see these creatures if that was the only way that you could. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Also, like, I was so jealous of the little girl at the very end who was just feeding that little tiny dinosaur out of her hand. I was like, I want to live to here. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot in this movie that's just, it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. And I feel like the people who greatly enjoy this movie, and I know there are a few who really did enjoy it, and for that, you know, God bless you. Um but there's just too much stupid in this movie for me to handle. And I know that coming from me, that may seem hypocritical, but it's the wrong kind of stupid for this kind of franchise. And I think that's a really good way to put it because the like fast and furious reveled in being fast and furious also took baby steps to the stupid. Like it incrementally got a little bit more stupid. When it got there, it reveled in it. Is what yeah. I'm saying. It, it it loved what it was. It loved itself, and it it was like, you know what? It's stupid, and we own it because we're having fun, you know. And, and the thing is, like, Fast and Furious. I'm not really a gearhead, so Fast and Furious is. I'm not really the target audience for Fast and Furious because I don't appreciate cars the way that I probably should, or the way that other people do. But I appreciate that these movies exist. Because yeah, I, mean, I appreciate the tone, I appreciate the, um, you know, I, I, I appreciate that they exist and I recognize their artistry, even if I recognize that they're not necessarily the fact for that, me. You also can't discount the fact that the Fast and the Furious franchise, for better or worse, greatly influenced action movies to a incredible degree. So much so that I feel like this film is a direct, you can, you can draw a direct correlation between what studios saw specifically universal studios saw in the performance of fast and furious and said, you know, what if instead of cars, we had dinosaurs. And the problem is that it undercuts some of the seriousness of the film so that you can't take anything seriously, even wherever you're supposed to case in point. Um, Dodgson meets his end at the face, the fate of the Dilophosaurus who, you know, from the original Jurassic park was one of the more menacing dinosaurs. Um, they, played Nedry's encounter with the Dilophosaur as like he didn't understand what sort of danger he was in, even though we did. And so his, de- like his death was horrifying and Dodgson's death was supposed to mirror that, but it's hard to take the Dilophosaur as a credible threat when only several minutes before Chris Pratt essentially chokeholded one into submission. And that's the sort of, imbalance that this movie has that drives me up a wall yes also i understand the we have to introduce a new dinosaur in the next series um but 
the introduction of the Giganotosaurus did not work for me. Um, just because it was as a as a creature, it was too large, too lumbering. It didn't have the same menace as, say, the Spinosaur from Jurassic Park 3, which I wish they would have brought that back. The fact that it's just largely ignored it kind of peeves me as well. Um, but, yeah, there was no... I don't feel like there was any menace to the dinosaurs at all in Jurassic World Dominion. And for all the faults of any of the other movies... I don't feel like that was the case. Even in Fallen Kingdom, I felt like there was some degree of danger. Um, so, like, uh, the, the Baryonyx attack in the uh, in the bunker was a good example of there being some menace to the, uh, to the dinosaurs. In this one, I really did not feel that. And so if you're trying to sell it on being on the survival being the uh, the the stakes it just it did it didn't work it did not work for me at all and part of that also through Jurassic World up till this point there has never been a sense of danger to me for any of our main characters you know all the main characters are safe which is not something that was true going back to the original at, at least to Jurassic Park and Lost World because Whenever Eddie died in Lost World, it was genuinely upsetting and genuinely unexpected. There's none of that in the Jurassic World trilogy. The only people that die are the people that should die, like uh, D'Onofrio in the first one, um, and then the, the, the hunter guy in Fallen Kingdom, and then, of course, Dodgson in this one. And then also people that we have no connection to, like the babysitter lady in Jurassic World that created so much of a, an uproar because of her violent death. Yes. <laughs> I like that this episode has just been me ranting for 50 minutes straight, and you going, I have no objections to your rants. Yes, you are correct. This movie is mid. I don't. You're the one that, you're the one that sat down and took notes, and I was the one that was like, oh, you know, this isn't as bad as they said it was, but also I'm not having fun here. And I feel like that's the, biggest, think- that's the biggest problem. A movie like this should be fun. But it's too big, it's too bloated. And I just don't think this is Chris Pratt's wheelhouse. It's really not. And I've, I, I, like I said, I admit, I've It's not Bryce Dallas Howard's wheelhouse either. She needs to to stop doing stuff like this and just go do nothing but direct Star Wars because whenever she does that, it's amazing. She is the best working Star Wars director. Fight me. I... I can't complain about that. Um, but like, I don't know, man. I just, I just don't. And they don't have any chemistry. They're supposed to be like this. Oh, wonderful, loving. Look at you're just supposed to look at this wonderful couple. And I'm like, they don't have any. They have no chemistry, chemistry at and all. I honestly, I feel One like Chris Pratt has only very... ever had chemistry with Aubrey Plaza, and that is it. Yeah, I can't disagree. And that's the thing. Is this a rant that I went on the other... Now, this is this is my turn to rant. So, rant that I went on the other day is that... Um, it, movies, with, movies and TV shows with queer romances are expected to have, like, just these epic, big, wonderful romances with wonderful chemistry or else people are going to be like, ugh, gays. 
but heterosexual romances, all you have to have is leading man, leading woman, no one care, kisses. No, yes. they don't. They don't have to take things like chemistry into consideration. They don't have to take things like because people just accept it. Whereas with queer cinema, the you know if if they want to cross over into mainstream audiences and be successful, the leads have to have chemistry. Right. Um, and, and it makes me that makes me mad. Like the yeah. double standard there, especially especially on the heels of and we'll we'll do an episode on this. She Hulk doing She-Hulk and, you know, Daredevil as a hooking up. Perfect. That was pitch perfect. It can be done. Yeah. And it's just people don't want to put in the effort. And, and this, it's, it's, this, I mean, you hear I, about I'm like, chemistry. See, this is a bar for me. And you hear about chemistry reads all the time in the audition process, but it's, it's baffling. I've how had often to do you see, yeah. It's baffling how often you see films make it to you know films make it through production and then the leads have absolutely no chemistry a good example of that beyond this i just saw don't worry darling um florence Pugh and uh and and harry styles just cardboard no chemistry whatsoever and god help her florence Pugh was trying to carry that thing on her back but there's some things are insurmountable and chris pratt just he does not have chemistry with just about anybody he's been paired up with. Uh, going back to like Jennifer Except Lawrence and passengers. Yeah, like Aubrey Plaza was the, like. Except for Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, she. I, I feel like she's kind of a miracle worker in that she can have chemistry on screen with just about anybody that she works with. Um, obviously, if you look at like um, she had she worked great with um, Elizabeth Olsen and Ingrid Goes West. Um, I've heard great things about Black Bear. I love it. like. Oh, well, I mean, it wasn't just, um, it was, um, not just, it was not just Elizabeth Olsen, like O'Shea Jackson Jr. They were so great. Yeah. Ingrid Goes West uh, is, a, is an together. excellent movie. I loved them. I lo- so, the, the more I watch it, the more I, the more I really like and appreciate it. It's a great like, movie. It's so dark. It's just so, be- I love Ingrid Goes West. If, if. If it's streaming anywhere at any point, oh, I own it. Never mind. Yeah. Um, that may be a, if it's a slow, if it's a slow movie week, we can go back and revisit that. But again, yeah. Like, and, and it's funny. Like you I bring said, up, we, you, we you try to not goes, make this. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you bring up Anger Goes West. And part of the reason why you love I it is because it. it's so, because it's so dark. I feel like with bringing this back to Jurassic world, um, they go dark in all the wrong ways and that it's just, they make so many bullheaded decisions that just do not pay off in any way, shape or form. And so it's like the, uh, going back to, there's the scene where they're trapped in the caverns and they're trying to get out and Malcolm is trying to find the code. And there's so it, the drama of the moment is so undercut by Goldblum being Goldblum that there's no sense of menace. And so, you know, the original Jurassic Park, you were afraid that those kids might get eaten. Let's be honest. Um, they were somewhat just annoying enough that you could see one of them getting getting eaten. Um, and then going through Lost World, people did get eaten because uh, Spielberg had an edge. But nothing about this film. I, I just... It's just so engineered. This film is more engineered than any Indominus Rex. This film feels like it was study grouped and 
peer reviewed into a into a four quadrant tent pole and it could not possibly offend anybody. I feel like that's what this film is supposed is or was supposed to be. You know, and what like I said, what what bothers me is that we don't go into movies wanting to shit on them. We oh, no, really I don't. Do not. Like I I we and I so I always want to like it. Like I don't like Chris Pratt anymore. I don't. I've soured on him quite a bit. But and I feel like we've gotten like, very good at I, finding I, I films like, that we want to see and want to enjoy. And so this podcast has more thing, become I a I was going to say this podcast has become more of an exercise in here's why you should see this thing rather than us tearing something down, but Right. Is, I feel like there's a conversation I, to be I, had. I, I, and the thing is, I typically want to avoid movies with Chris Pratt in it because I I know that I am going to bring my dislike of him and the fact that I'm really disappointed in everything into it, you know? And the thing is, I, I feel like I don't if Chris watch, Pratt worked within movies. his wheelhouse and like knew what worked for him, maybe I'd, I'd be on board with it, but this is not it. This is just not it not and honestly i'm not i'm not super hopeful about um mario either i'm really not um but i'm probably still gonna see it because jack black and keenan michael keel in the or keegan michael keel in the trailer yeah yeah keegan as toad is inspired and i love me some charlie day I will say at first, at first, when the cast was announced, I thought, I thought Charlie Day would be a better Toad and Keegan-Michael Key would be a better Luigi. But after hearing Key's Toad voice, I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. I'm into it. I support it. But again, he is another actor who understands the difference between voiceover acting, comedic acting, and acting. He gets it. He's the yeah. same way as uh, Jack Black. I just, and I think Chris Pratt understood the assignment for Lego Movie, but something, oh, I, I think. Like he, because the thing about Lego Movie Chris is he was Pratt. supposed to be a bland everyman. So it worked for the character, but he can't yeah. do that in everything. And it's like, in this one, he's playing just this cardboard cutout of a character who is like, oh, but he's also kind of a cowboy now, I guess. I don't know. It's so many dumb decisions. You know what? Here's the thing. What is the thing? I'm angry because I really liked him and I was like championing it. I was like, yeah, let's give him a chance. It's cool to see like, you know, this fun. Um, I'm angry at how much stock I put in him and enjoying him. Only to find out that he's actually really just not a good person. And you I, also, I'm angry and, that I, I wasted so much time and energy on supporting somebody who, by all intents and purposes, if he met me, would probably hate me. And belongs and to the a problem church is, that like, wants people I like, can, like me dead. And the problem is, with some actors, I am okay with, like, okay, they may be a shitty person, but they are talented, so I can somewhat divorce as long as they haven't murdered or caused 
significant harm. And like you said, I don't know how much of the Chris Pratt is just the internet being the internet and how much is true because I haven't done enough research to know. So my problem with Chris Pratt at this point is really how much squandered talent there is there because he did have all the makings of having a great career, but he's just, his choices have been utter garbage and he hasn't done anything. And I guess one thing that the internet does get right is that he was called out for belonging to a ragingly homophobic church. Right. And just being like, oh no, it's fine. You know, that's what bothers me because to me that is enabling and that is hateful. And I, that upset me. Yeah. Was, def- was and... standing up and defending him when he had an opportunity to be like, this is not me. Uh, I don't, you know, and, and, that's what bothers me is maybe yeah, he doesn't, maybe he's not a homophobe, maybe he's not a homophobe, but he is enabling homophobes and actively promote And he's, he's complicit. Yeah. The, the fact that, living I think in the Texas, fact that. Yeah, yeah. Living in Texas and seeing how homophobia and transphobia are killing people and splitting up families. This is not a time if you belong if you belong to a church that is like that and you don't say something and you don't actively fight against it, it means that you that you endorse it. It silently means that you that makes me so You know, I was having this conversation yesterday with Tori, you know, we talked about um and it, it was kind of benign, but um we got into it. I The way that I've said it is every subpopulation will be judged by the company that they keep. So if you are a conservative Republican and you view yourself as such and you're like, well, I'm not like those people. I'm like, yeah, but you will be judged by the people that you associate with and are okay being at the dinner table with. And if you are a staunch conservative Republican, on one end, you have the absolute crazies who believe that somebody is playing Joe Biden in a rubber mask and that you and you're and fully believe in anti-Semitic lizard people conspiracies. On one end, you've got those people. And on the other end, you have literal Nazis. And if you are okay sitting down at the table with those, then you are endorsing it. If you're not willing to disavow it, yeah. you're endorsing it. The same way that I hate to say it, but subpopulations in fandom deal with the same thing. If you're a gamer and you don't disavow the people who were involved in Gamergate, then you're no better than them. If you are in, so for for instance, touching me, um, in the pro wrestling community, if you refuse to disavow the predators and assaulters that we've been trying to throw out, you're no better than them. I will say, I, I will give... I will give a pass to people who are not in a privileged position because they can put a target on their back by speaking out. But people that are in privileged positions. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It's your responsibility to speak. Because I, like I, I know, I mean, working in the video game industry, there are, for example, a lot of transgender devs that I've worked with. Um, there's a lot of trans people involved in the indie game community. If they spoke up, they could very well get swatted. Yeah. And, and that's, I an, can that's an unfortunate situation. People. Yeah, I can understand. So I will give passes to people who are not in positions where they can speak up because their life could be in danger. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like, but so Chris Pratt is an extremely privileged person and he's not using his position to say, look, I, I don't want to belong to this church anymore. Or, Hey, I like the people here, but I'm trying to work with them on more inclusion. Like, yeah, he's, I, and he's I'm not angry using the platform that he's been afforded to do anything that would be considered positive. Um, sometimes silence. Well, like, I remember, I remember uh, sometimes silence says a lot. And also just kind of like to, to make at least a little bit of a joke and, and harken back to some of the previous jokes on this. Uh, the, the internet was like, it, it says a lot that Lee Pace stopped following Chris Pratt on Instagram. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I've well, run out again, of... You know, that, poor, that, poor man got, that poor man got outed without his consent. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, we hate to see situations anyway, like that. I hate but, situations yeah, I'm, uh, like that. And you know what? I, I also... Maybe someday Chris Pratt will wake up and be like, I'm tired of enabling this. And I'll be like... I hope that you reach because the thing I always want people to do better. He has not done better. I don't. The thing is, I don't expect purity. I really don't expect purity of people. We're not pure. I'm not. I, you know, we're problematic in some ways. We're not proud of the fact that we're problematic, but we're trying. We're actively trying. I don't think Chris Pratt tries. And that's where I'm upset is that if you have an opportunity to do better, if someone gives you that opportunity to do better and you don't take it, that's really upsetting and really sad. And so I hope that he does eventually see the error of his ways. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I hope that one day he's like, I don't think that, that enabling this is to my Christian faith, you know? Yeah. And I didn't intend this I, episode I to take a I weird detour that. into uh, go to hell Chris Pratt territory. I but... feel like I feel like you can't though, because again, well, you, if you we're can't just talk like, about a, you can't talk about a movie Pratt that he's in without without acknowledging that there's that black cloud hanging over it. You know. Yeah, and the thing is, is that like if we if we just come in and say, hey. Chris Pratt, and then not acknowledge that. Well, for one thing, we have to be able to say you know, we have our biases. Yeah, I'm, I'm. As people that are, you know, openly pro LGBTQIA plus, um, it's our responsibility to say something. Otherwise, we're going to be enabling it by not. He's not necessarily. We're enabling it. And I don't yeah. know how Amy Poehler felt about the, the flashing her thing. Maybe they have an agreement that that she was okay with it. I don't know. But I do think that if you're on a set, you don't know everybody's boundaries. Yeah. Even if she was okay with it. Maybe other people that were there weren't. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it just... It, there's it, a lot to unpack there. Me. It more, me a lot. More than we have time for, to be honest. But I feel um, like... But I feel like if we didn't if we didn't talk about it, then people are gonna listen to this and be like, they they didn't mention that Chris like are they okay with the way Chris Pratt 
is yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that anyone who who listen who like sees the title Jurassic World pop up on the RSS feed for this podcast, I guarantee you that oh they're gonna go after Chris Pratt. It, it's on their bingo card. Like they know based off of our track history yeah, of where our politics lie and uh, where our feelings lie that we're going to address the situation, even if we don't come down on the side of condemnation. We're not gonna ignore it. Oh, I'm on the side of condemnation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, until until he shows that he is, because again, here's the thing: enabling homophobes is killing people and splitting up families here in Texas, where we live. Right. I if if things were if things were okay, if people weren't dying, if people weren't dying, it's okay to kind of, you know, hey, I'm people are dying. Yeah. That's the point that I want to drive home. It isn't like it's not it's not a matter of simple disagreement. It right. stops being disagreement when people people start ripping apart innocent families, when people start dying, when people start not having access to care and and committing suicide. That's when it start when it stops being about politics and starts being about humanity. Yeah. And this what he is enabling is not human. Yeah, and that's. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to start crying. <laughs> it's fine. We've hit that point in the prod in the podcast but, where I mean, we take the dark turn before we have to sign off. So um, it was expected. Um, but I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, this is just a silly little film podcast. But the fact of the matter is that art, even if it's for mass consumption um, and just entertainment as Jurassic World Dominion is it, it is connected to every facet of our life and it's not nothing is made in a vacuum and casting choices like putting Chris Pratt right, in the exactly. lead they, they have repercussions and this is what the discourse is going to be if studios and if Chris Pratt didn't want that to be the issue then they need to come out and get ahead of it and not be associated with things that in the year of our Lord, 2022, should not be an issue. We should not be dealing with celebrities who are platforming just ass-backwards ideas that lead to the significant harm of humanity. And that's, I mean, that's just the long and short of it. Right, exactly. Like, I don't expect, like we've said, we don't expect anyone to be pure. We don't. No. We've, I mean, like, we've for said, God's sakes, we love Jack Black. Jack Jack Black played a, you know, a Mexican priest in Nacho Libre. But the thing is, Jack Black didn't do that again. Yeah. I mean, he people make mistakes. A, mistake, a mistake is a dip. There's a difference between a mistake and a sustained ideology. And I feel like that's what needs yes. to be, uh, what needs yeah. to be addressed. But well, anyway. you know, look at, you know what? A really good, ex- a really good example. I'm going to close this out on a positive note. Look at Lizzo. Lizzo yes. fucked up badly by accidentally using a what she did not realize was a very ableist slur for people with cerebral palsy. And as soon as she found out, she took ownership of it, apologized, immediately changed the lyrics to the, to the thing and said, you know what? I appreciate that you guys corrected me. Thank you. And what I loved so much about that, and what I loved about that so much about that is changing it hurt nobody. 
That's that's what I love nope. so much about it. And people love were, really wanted to complain and talk about uh, you know uh, pressure and cancel culture and all this crap. But changing it so that nobody is hurt hurts nobody. It nobody is. Yeah, and and I. I, I just don't see how that's not a I net positive in the world. And it's part of the reason why I love Lizzo. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't, I, it's not about necessarily, depends on the mistake, obviously. Some mistakes are just bad. But the mistake that Lizzo made, her character came out and how she handled it. I yes. don't think that the way Chris Pratt handled being called out for belonging to a homophobic church that said, the way he reacted to it was what I'm reacting to and what I'm talking about. It isn't that he made a mistake. It's how he reacted to being told that he made a mistake and how he had an opportunity to correct and change, but he did not take it. Whereas yeah. you get somebody like Lizzo who was corrected. And rather than defending herself she's like no i did something that i'm not gonna stand i'm not gonna stand up for myself because i did do something wrong and i screwed up and i might yeah. that is why i continue to support lizzo and enjoy her work because but if she had reacted poorly we would not be praising her on this podcast as an example of someone who takes ownership correct and we'd be saying fuck lizzo yeah you know which Thank God we don't have to make that statement. But I feel like I'm I'm completely out of notes. I, I have so nothing glad. left. To, I have nothing left to say about this movie. And again, ultimately, this is not a this is not a bad movie. In the oh my God, it's poor. It's poorly made. The you can see a boom mic in this shot. They left a Starbucks co- co- uh, coffee cup on the ground. It's, it it was very clearly well-made from a production standpoint. The animatronics were on par with anything in the rest of the series. The CGI was not the great all were, But the animatronics were excellent. Yeah, the animatronics were great. I and love the animatronics. There were, some, there were some entertaining performances. It's just, it's a three-hour-long movie with quite possibly about 45 minutes worth of plot, and it just, it felt empty. And yet bloated at the same time. And that is the worst thing that you can have for a movie that is billed as a sci-fi actioner. So I will leave it at that. Um, before we get out of here, do you want to shamelessly self-promote anything? Um, lots of things. So just go to my Twitter at Meredith Nudo. Uh, the improv podcast that I am on, um, Bookmarks, dropped last week. Uh, I play uh, Berlin Solal, who is a literary wonderkind. She's uh, she's the ex-girlfriend of one of the hosts, but it's it's so fun. It's by WGC Productions. It is a um, a it, it, it's an audio drama, but it's a fake um, it is a fake book podcast where they review books that don't exist. <laughs> I love the concept. It is amazing. It is absolutely brilliant. Uh, WGC Productions, I love working with them. I think they're just the, the most innovative and fun and fascinating people. And that just came out yesterday. Um, and it, I, I think people are going to really just, and it was, it, all of it was improv. They gave us a, like a couple of beats that they really wanted us to hit. Uh, but after that, oh, that was so fucking funny. Like, I hope people really enjoy it. 
Yeah, definitely check that out. I don't have anything upcoming, but uh, the most recent episode of PWF Livewire dropped on IWTV. So if you want to uh, jump on that, we've got a big event coming up in November. So if you want to get caught up for that, you can try IWTV to watch all the back episodes. If you use the promo code Premier HTX, you can get a first month free. And then there are literally hundreds of independent wrestling promotions that you can watch and support through IWTV. Every stream that you watch uh, helps to support those independent promotions. So I always like to give that a little plug. Um, And I'm basically off for the rest of October, I believe. And I'll be back at it again behind the desk in November. But next week we will be uh, next week, we'll be back here talking about the newest installment in the Hellraiser franchise, and we'll be dedicating yeah. that again to our, our good friend, uh, Vincent, who we sadly lost this week. But until next time, thank yeah. you so much for supporting the show. Guy. Yeah. Once again, uh, rest in peace, Vincent. We miss you, and uh, we hope you enjoy next week's episode and this episode and all our episodes. Again, thank you for supporting the show, and we will see you Oh, and next also time. give us money. Give us money on Patreon. Yes. Um, give us Patreon as, money. Yes, give us Patreon money. You can check us out at patreon.com slash pop and schlock. Check out the subscriber tiers and uh, see how you would like to support this show to keep us uh, pumping out this quality content each and every week. Um, yeah, we're, we're new to the Patreon game, but we are, uh, we're, we're ever evolving. So thank you for throwing that in there, Meredith. Also, my cat's licking my eyeball. My cat is scratching to get out. So I think that's an appropriate uh, time to go off just because uh, the cats have demanded it thus. And we will see you next week, everybody. 